In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Lightspeed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. Okay, you've been waiting for it, and so have I. This is going to be our second part of our discussion of Michael G. Kino's music for the Walt Disney Company over the past 25 years. In the second part, we're going to examine his work for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, some miscellaneous projects that have kind of been scattered throughout all parts of Disney, and ending with Pixar, which is how he earned his Academy Award. Hopefully there will be more to come. And joining me again will be David Glantz, my cousin and friend who is quite the connoisseur of film and music, and he sure knows a lot about Michael Giacchino as well, so we're going to dive into that in just a second. Now, I would be a betting man that after this episode, you're going to be thinking, oh, I love The Incredibles music so much that I just want to hear it repeatedly at the Disney theme parks. Well, you can do that by going to Disney California Adventure and riding The Incredicoaster. And might I recommend our sponsor as you book your next vacation? We recommend Donna the Vacationer with Second Star Vacations. Donna specializes in all Disney travel destinations, including Walt Disney World, Disneyland, Alani, Disney Cruise Line Vacations, and Adventures by Disney Guided Tours. Unlike big box travel agencies where you are just another number, Donna is your personal travel consultant, and your needs will always come first. Plus, she is available to you before, during, and after your vacation to help ensure it is everything you dreamed it would be. Best of all, her services are free. For more information, go to secondstarvacations.com or email her at Donna at thevacationier.com. Tell her we at Notably Disney sent you. Now on with the show. We talked earlier about much of his music having almost heroic vibes, and under the Marvel Studios umbrella, we have two scores 
thus far from Michael Giacchino. Uh, we're recording uh, in uh, the early part of 2019. And we have 2016's Doctor Strange. And then we also had 2017's relaunch of Spider-Man via Spider-Man Homecoming. And this is a a Marvel Studios film. It was uh, distributed by Sony, but uh, we can say it's kind of a Disney film with an asterisk of sorts. It's still from Marvel Studios. But Doctor Strange, let's uh, let's get into that just for a moment. Thoughts on this very otherworldly movie? Yeah, this movie was uh, interesting, to say the least. Uh, I'm not going to lie. As a movie, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. Uh, however, that being said, the score was cool because uh, it was very different, very off the beaten path for Gina Kino, right? Uh, well, one, he had the opportunity to create a wholly original theme, right? You don't get that often with superheroes because often you're backpacking off something that was already created from a TV show or an old movie or anything. Wholly original. There's never been, other than the cartoons, there's never been like a Doctor Strange theme, a thematic element to it. And he created that. And it was really good. What I really like is, it was almost like psychedelic, which the movie was just a trip in its own merit. But like, it is very, um, it's less boisterous, a little more ominous. Uh, I guess wizardry, which is fair because that's what he kind of is. Um, and you know, it's uh, it's got like the magical elements, not necessarily the uplifting. I'm trying to find the best way to explain it, but so not whimsical, but um, threatening in a way, uh, with a, a few notes of, like, a little bit of higher cues, uh, I don't know, I just, I found it interesting, um, the score, it's one of his few scores to me that never fully stood out, because the movie never really warranted, warranted any moments for the score to really come through, like, most superhero movies have that moment of, like, the big superhero moment, and the score swells, and it's over their theme, and all of this, and, to me, this movie didn't really warrant or have it, or it just didn't always work for me. I'm not saying that the score was bad. Um, I don't know. It, to me, it's just one of his more least memorable ones, other than Doctor Strange's theme alone, because it was the first time we ever got to hear anything like it. Sure. No, and you know, it's interesting because I think what, what you're speaking to is how, and, and this actually, for me, has certain connections to Rogue One, which I'll talk about later. Um, and I probably will have gone a bit of flack on for my Star Wars episode for not recognizing or finding his work uh, for that film as fantastic as some of the others within the Star Wars universe. But it, I think what we're, we're really wanting to emphasize is how important enjoying the film experience is to really also enjoy the film music experience as well. And sometimes they can stand independently, but other times our our thoughts and and memories and impressions of a film can also um, seep into the music part. So I, I definitely appreciate what you're saying. And I actually, I, I really, I've enjoyed Doctor Strange. I've seen it several times, but it's a very inventive soundtrack in terms of that it's, I love the word that you used, David, psychedelic, um, because I think that's a perfect word to describe his score, which is very ethereal very all over the place very just otherworldly which is very precise given the the context of the film with different dimensions and um, spaces but i I've, I've really come to love this score and 
I, there are a few tracks that I would encourage listeners to check out, whether or not um, they, they like the film or have seen it, but you have the Master of the Mystic end credits, which the orchestra, there's some use of the electric guitar. It feels like it's out of like a groovy late 1960s film or like a Woodstock festival. Like it's like the Grateful Dead. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. But and then there's some interesting use of instruments. So the, he uses um, the, you know, the orchestra, the, the use of the harpsichord um, gives off a, just a very unique, almost ancient type vibe to to the score. And there's a lot of trippiness to a lot of the tracks. A Long Strange Trip um, is super, super trippy. And, uh, and and you mentioned earlier about Doctor Strange's theme. He has a memorable theme that uh, emerges at s- several different points throughout the film in different ways. But I also just want to mention that the Hands Dealt track, which is toward the beginning of the soundtrack and score is very impressive. So I'm I'm at least a, a fan of, of this score, but it's it's definitely one of his more eccentric and odd uh, odd scores. Yeah, definitely. Which hey shows his range, right? Like I mean, that's again a testament to how creative he really is. He uh, you know he had something unique and he ran with it. Whether or not it works for everyone. It's one thing, but like you can never ever take away just the uh, yeah his, his testament to his craft and the fact that he was a, he was willing to go off the wall something completely different that Marvel or himself has ever done and uh, yeah it, it, I I do like it a lot in that aspect. Sure, sure, and. One other film, as I briefly mentioned earlier, that is under the Marvel Studios umbrella in which Giacchino has had his hand is Spider-Man Homecoming. Um, I'll share, I guess, a few thoughts on, on it first. What I absolutely love is his unique spin on the Spider-Man theme, which comes in the opening credits, uh, the, the Marvel Studios opening credits of the film. It's so Giacchino. It's and also, I think it's worth noting, too, that, and I failed to mention this earlier, but Giacchino is actually responsible for the, the the newer or the newest Marvel Studios theme, more generally, for all the films. So, uh, uh, dun, 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 that one? Yeah, the, the most, yeah. So anything, I think, over the past, I want to say two years or so. Yeah, yeah, so... Even though it's like 40 seconds or less, it's like, it's all Giacchino. <laughs> so. so iconic. It's amazing. Yeah. And so, so similarly, he put his own spin on the Spider-Man theme that many of us have heard over the years. So that is definitely nice. And he kind of like the main character, Peter Parker, and he's played fantastically by Tom Holland, who's very light and bouncy and, and free-spirited. He's, he's basically uh, another version of, of Casey from Tomorrowland of sorts, just... <laughs> precocious and fun and inspired and creative um what we see with spider-man homecoming is a lot of bounciness and positivity with some of the cues some art intense of course and some of the tracks are illustrate the gravity of uh, situations that parker's thrown into but i'd say it's a a fun and uh just light and spirited soundtrack yeah yeah no i agree and i think like you said we hearken we hearken to it earlier a little bit is 
Jay Keno is a master of taking something previous and, and putting his own spin on it. And we'll talk about it a little more later in our list, but um, that Spider-Man theme is bound to be iconic. Like, um, I think it's, it's modern, right? It's a little more modernized. It's a little more laid on its feet. It's not super cheeky, but it fits the Marvel brand. Um, and this whole score, it's very, and it's had a lot of resemblance to this, but it's true. It's very John Hughes. It's very 80s high school. It's very, yeah, bouncy and on its feet. It's fast. It's quick. When the vulture comes in, yeah, it's a, it's a little more dark and ominous, but it's, even that's got a little bit of, like, breeziness to it, right? It's, um, it was definitely one more lighthearted fairs, I think, of the, the Marvel franchises, uh, but it fits the bill of Spider-Man. It's very, not angsty, but, um, it makes me feel like I'm a teenager again. And I think it's partially because it's very catchy, it's very light, it's very, very quick, um, you know, I can't name like a single track from the album but what i can do is i can hum almost all of them as the movie plays out because they're all very very much into each other's scenes and um yeah i, I liked it i thought it was a really fun little i like i thought it was a fun film but uh i i thought it was right in giacchino's wheelhouse and i thought there could not have been a better composer for it i i, I really enjoyed the score to this one yeah, it feels like of sorts it we talk about or I I at least made the connection earlier um with how certain films feel like they could be within the same shared universe and I feel like Spider-Man Homecoming and Sky High could be like neighbors <laughs> yeah. of sorts. Yeah, I I'm why I don't know why Peter Parker's just not in Sky High. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? If they ever do a, if they ever create a sequel, <laughs> uh Tom Holland will be in his late 20s playing a high schooler. <laughs> Um, in a in a different shared universe. So. Or they could do a super super prequel and make him like Kurt Russell when he was like twenty two. Mm, you know what? That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Disney, we're just giving you ideas. Um, so we're gonna talk about tonal difference. We're gonna jump from um, the general lightness of of Spider Man Homecoming to the <laughs> intensity and gravity of a different universe. The this is the Star Wars universe. Uh, we're talking about Rogue One, a Star Wars story which premiered in December 2016. It was very successful in all absolute ways. It was a financial hit, a critical hit. And musically, it also was a, a nice year for Giacchino. He produced four really great scores. We had Zootopia, a Star Trek, uh, which one was the Star Trek Beyond, and uh, Doctor Strange, and finally with Rogue One. So Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Any thoughts, David? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I did actually very much enjoy the score. And um, it was so... <laughs> I can't imagine what goes through your mind when you get offered a job like this, right? Where, I mean, this is the first spinoff film, right? It's the first one, like, in this whole new sort of universe idea that Disney's kind of brewed up. But the moment, and while I don't necessarily even like the way they did the opening credits, the score, that moment it came out, I was like, this is exactly what they had to do. This makes complete sense because... What it did is it tapped into the nostalgia of the original, but not not stealing it, right? You're not, it differentiates the 
uh, saga films from the spinoffs. And it was a little more light um, in its own merit, a little more adventurous in tone. Um, but what I really got out of it, uh, you know, at the very end is that's a Giacchino score. He made Star Wars stand on its own. You know, um, you know, uh, as I heard you were talking about in the previous podcast about John Powell, like to me, like that score didn't do it for me. It didn't stand on its own. It felt it, it's not even that it just didn't stand on its own, but it's it's almost too different in a way where it didn't even feel like Star Wars. This very much had a Star Wars feel. It was adventurous. Jin Erso's theme, I think, is incredible. Um, and yeah, you know, the movie itself. I'm 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 indifferent personally, but I do think what Giacchino created was really impressive, and the fact that he did Star Trek, I mean, the fact that he did both, and is able to blend the new and the old, and for any listeners' ears to immediately go to it, you know what I mean? Uh, I thought it was pretty remarkable. So. I enjoyed it. I mean, he even put his own spin on the Imperial March. Like, who ever thought that was possible? <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I give him lots of credit, and, and I did really enjoy the score. And um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a Star Wars buff. I love Star Wars. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, kudos to this guy. If there's anyone that's going to be John Williams and, you know, or have a legacy that is even in line with him, I think Jake Keno is going to be your guy. But we can talk about that a little later. Yeah, and certainly it'll be interesting. I, I'll have to double check. I don't think Disney has yet released who'll be providing the scores for the uh, Star Wars series on Disney Plus, the new streaming platform uh, later this year. But it'll be interesting to see if we see any major big film composers like Giacchino or Giacchino for that matter um, producing work for that platform. I, I'll say too with Rogue One, I'm like you. I I, I'm a little bit indifferent about the film. I need to give it uh, another chance. It's been a while, so I, I need to definitely kind of take it all in. But his score was good. I don't think it's his best work. I think he has some nice moments. You mentioned Jin Erso's theme. The hope theme that is almost like the culmination at the end is, is quite strong, too. Yes. And you're, you're right. You know, he's he's really, it's so commendable that he was able to Put, situate himself in the Star Wars, Star Wars world, say that a few times, and actually put his own spin, but yet still pay homage to what John Williams has crafted. So kudos to Giacchino. <laughs> exactly. So we have two more uh, main topics, and one topic that is kind of a hodgepodge, and we can just touch on this briefly unless there are particular things we want to hit on, is what I consider his other projects slash miscellaneous category. And this is everything from your video games to some television productions. So to name a handful, um, because he has produced, like we've talked about, a wealth of material. Some of his earliest work was for Disney Interactive, the video game division of uh, the Walt Disney Company that is now um, under uh, a different umbrella. But his work included um, titles from the early mid-1990s, uh, I should say, such as Mickey Mania, The Timeless Adventures of Mickey Mouse. Uh, he gets a credit for some additional music uh, for that. 
Um, his other titles uh, that were video game based uh, around this era included some work for The Lion King, um, I believe uh, Maui Mallard, which was a like almost like a dark Donald Duck of sorts. <laughs> I um, remember that game actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, knowing you, of course, you you would know yes. that. Yes. Oh yeah. Some other projects that were more in the 2000s era included some different uh, renditions of the Incredibles that was translated into video games. We also see some work for television. So. Of all things, the Muppet, the Muppets Wizard of Oz, which was a, a 2005 uh, TV film that I, I remember was very, very quirky, as <laughs> one would expect. Uh, more recently, he's produced work for Prep and Landing, which is uh, the Christmas-inspired or Christmas-set uh, animated productions from Walt Disney Animation Studios. And those were released on uh, ABC earlier in the decade. And a couple of short films that are not Pixar. He's actually done some Disney shorts. Um, one of them is The Ballad of Nessie, which is set in the uh, the UK, uh, based on the Loch Ness Monster. And also a goofy short. He has a goofy short credit, and that's 2007's How to Hook Up Your Home Theater. And uh, I'm not sure if, if you ever caught that, but that was with that actually played in theaters with uh, National Treasure 2 uh, Book of Secrets. And uh, that was just a, a fun short film. But um, any thoughts on any of these projects or miscellaneous endeavors by Giacchino? Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I don't have uh, all that much to say other than the Muppets Wizard of Oz, which I'll be honest, I didn't know he did, but I do remember that from TV. Yes, that was very quirky, and uh, it's a little delight. Um, what was it? What was, uh, was it the Mickey Mania? Uh, oh, no, sorry, Maui Mallard. Yeah, that, yeah. It, that, that one. That's... That's weirdly ingrained in my memory because I think as I, I saw my older brother play it a lot when it came out because I was still a little young and it kind of tainted the idea of Donald Duck for me. And I was just like, what is happening right now? Um, yeah, no, I mean, those are great. And I must have seen the, the short that played in front of uh, I played in front of National Treasure Tubes. I saw it in theaters. I just don't remember it all that well. Sure. Yeah, no worries. It's it's what's so great about that short is that it's a lot of the goofy shorts that are in the Disney realm and the Disney fabric are very well known there. They were like the 1940s, 1950s era where Goofy's learning how to engage in different activities, whether it's sports or different parts of society. And it has like a, a night, uh, the, the how to hook your up your home theater short has a like a 1960s jazzy whimsical score that is totally an extension of of Giacchino, but it also totally fits within Goofy. So um, yeah, it's worth checking out if if listeners want to. Actually, I think if you might even be able to find it on Netflix, um, unless it's been taken down. But it's called Walt Disney Animation Studios Short Films Collection, and the Goofy short um, was actually part of this set of sorts. So uh, folks can check that out that way. All right. So the the behemoth that is Pixar, we've saved this for the very end, um, and we'll probably need to to go through this at a uh, decent clip because there are a number of short films. Um, so maybe we should just briefly touch on the short films before the the main feature films. We know Giacchino came into the Pixar scene with 2004's The Incredibles, but around the same time was his earliest Pixar short, which was One Man Band, which features um, two very quirky and eccentric musician uh, characters. Um, and it was followed by a number of other popular Pixar shorts from Jack Jack Attack, which was 
a short film on the Incredibles DVD back in 05. Other shorts include Lifted, Partly Cloudy, Doug's Special, Nish- Special Mission, Day and Night, La Luna, Riley's First Date, Dante's Lunch, and we also have two television production, Pixar productions that J.K. is responsible for, those being Toy Story of Terror and Toy Story That Time Forgot. All of these have the Giacchino name. Any thoughts on these various Pixar productions? I mean, they're they're actually they're all pretty incredible. Uh, La Luna specifically really stood up because I remember seeing that short and I was very moved. And I, I has a lot of it has to do with the score. I kind of the idea of just evoking emotions, uh, emotions, and um, I didn't know what to expect from it. I mean, when you get you know a short from Pixar. You always expect at least something out of it, you know, whether it's whether it's great or not. But certain ones, uh, you know, La Luna or I know it's not Giacchino, but like Bao, for example, right? Recently, Pixar is so good at just uh, knowing how just to kind of uh, rip your heart out. And uh, I think La Luna really did that uh, in, in the best way possible, by the way, viewers or listeners, by the way, best way possible. Yeah, so La Luna was great. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm blanking right now. Oh, yeah, Riley's First Date was great. Um, and Dante's Lunch. I mean, you know, you watch these shorts, which are only a few minutes long a lot of times, and it's just, if there's any time a score is going to have the most impact, it's going to be something short, because as you mentioned in a in our prior conversation, uh, you know, like Tomorrowland, where it's kind of in your face, with a short, it literally is, because it usually, it's just the music and the characters doing their actions, and they communicate kind of together, and then they create the story that's on screen and um yeah you know i mean it's incredible and it just you look at the diverse nature on this list it's it's amazing there you know everything from whimsical to to heart throbbing in a good way to i don't want to say intense but uh goofy in a way right like cheeky um and yet they're all family friendly i don't think any of them touch on the sense of making anyone really feel unnerved all of them have a welcoming feel in a way, allowing you to kind of get involved with it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just really appreciate a lot of his work. Yeah, I would agree with you. Say, say for maybe Lost, which I'm not sure is the most family friendly, but yeah, everything, that's right. everything else. <laughs> I'm so accustomed to being like everything's family friendly, and then you do look at Lost, and you're like, okay, all right, sorry. But you know what? That was the start of his career, and yeah. he had to get his name out there. Oh yes, totally agree, and. <laughs> One one shorter thing that I wanted to touch on uh, before we go into the main film, Pixar films is One Man Band. I think it was nominated for an Oscar, but this short film is a perfect illustration of, and all the Pixar shorts demonstrate this in different ways, but I feel like this one is a perfect illustration of music because the centerpiece of the short are these two musicians. You have one who is um, kind of this old school uh, percussion uh, drummer type uh, character, just very, uh, just a cute little character, and then you have this very eccentric and vibrant uh, musician who plays uh, string, and he's uh, trying. They're both trying to uh, win over the girl and and get the coin, but uh, his his music in just like this is only a few minutes. It's just absolutely amazing. So one worth revisiting. Yeah. Okay. So the let's let's turn over to the, the, the Pixar films. The, the main theatrical features first off is The Incredibles 2004. This was his 
major entrance into the film film score community, I, I should emphasize. He's had smaller projects um, and smaller non-Disney projects, but boy, did he come on to a really ambitious effort with The Incredibles. Thoughts on this Pixar film? Utterly impressive. Uh, holds up incredibly well. Um, it, it's This is the ultimate vehicle in my eyes to show what, what Giacchino is made of when it comes to a vast variety of sounds, of, uh, of music culture, of um, really establishing himself and understanding a genre, right? So this is The Incredibles literally is mission possible, but for kids and animated in, in the best way possible, right? And also for adults, but he's got the sense of action, right? The sense of intensity, but with that intensity comes a sense of lightheartedness. And I don't think it shows better other than the, the plane crash scene, right? Where they're falling out of the plane and it's almost, it literally reminds me of Mission Impossible. Like literally in the sense of it's intense and it's fast, but you can hear a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit below like the higher sounds of the plane going down and the wind gusting. You can hear the uh, more, uh, not even happy it's nature, but gathering and uh, welcoming nature of the sound in a sense where it creates it and makes it a comedy more than like a dire situation. And I thought that piece alone was great because it was just like super Pixar and super Giacchino and uh, just really uh, just really enjoyable piece to listen to. And it just, it, it made the sequences fun, right? He creates this music that makes these action scenes and this uh, sort of comedic element fun and not dour, not slapsticky, but just fun. And for you to come out swinging uh, with a genre like this or for like a movie like this uh, was so, so impressive. And it's iconic. And the thing is, the original Incredibles, I think, holds up maybe even better than Incredibles 2, like the themes and the soundtracks. And, oh, I, I love it. I love it so much. I love the movie. I love the soundtrack. Um it's just an incredible piece of work. Yeah, it put him on the map in a, a wide variety of ways. And you talked about it just being a fun soundtrack. I think one track where this really stands out is 100 Mile Dash, where Dash realizes his amazing speed um, on the Madison Island. And it's frenetic and zippy and just that sense of, like, I'm invincible. I can do anything. <laughs> and the end credits, the end credits is ridiculously strong uh, kind of a compilation of sorts but yet he's that main theme um, is very present here it there's a lot of good themes in, in this film and you talked about Mission Impossible kind of being I think a, a big influence James Bond those films also really translated into how Giacchino crafted the score for Incredibles that's a great great point actually now that you say that I think about it in that yeah, yeah, you know, I think they really felt, because there is, like, uh, you know, other than just the, the bombastic, fun, action, sort of, fast clip, moving, um, you know, sounds that he creates with, like, a lot of the action pieces, there is also the element of, like, the spy genre involved in this movie, and he definitely creates that, just, uh, 
I would say ominous, but a mystery. It's like a, it's a detective story, and he creates it with the sound effects or with just like the accentuation of certain notes on certain beats of the character's movements. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just I I, I just really like it. <laughs> me too. Me too. Next up is 2007's Ratatouille. This was Brad Bird. And Brad Bird stepped into this project a bit later in the game, but it's uh, we know this film because of Remy and the rats and it's France and it's fun and it's comedy gold in a lot of ways. But um, And it was also another film that really um, helped establish Giacchino in the film world. In fact, uh, it was nominated for Best Original Score uh, for the Oscars, which is kind of notable. But thoughts on Ratatouille? I don't know how this movie didn't win actually Best Original Score that year. To be honest, with you. I thought it was great. And if there's a movie that's going to, um, uh, yeah, personified with scores and what it means to creating a field, maybe not necessarily even, uh, you know, uh, inflicting its presence on scene, but like making you feel like you're in France right or making you or yeah france but uh uh kind of uh involving the world around you i don't think many many pieces of music do better better than ratatouille i mean whenever if i ever go to france but whenever i watch anything on france or see pictures of france online i automatically revert to the soundtrack of ratatouille because that is it it's bright it's magical it's um you know, it's loving. It's everything you imagine Paris to be. And uh, it just, it fits so seamlessly into the movie. And the movie on its own merit seems absurd. But uh, J.K.O. creates this joking, silly, cute atmosphere that uh, it fits the movie so darn well. You know, it just fits it perfectly. Yeah, and you talked about how it just fun and, and playful and I, I think one track where this also stands out is Walrat, and that it, it kind of features a a romantic opening of sorts, but it but there's a lot of scurriedness to the score to kind of emulate the quickness and sprightliness of, of Remy and all the rats, and um, and we hear just a lot of lush, breathtaking moments. It's a yeah, it's a beautiful score. It's fun and it's. Giacchino in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, it literally is. Absolutely. So he followed that up with a kind of a titan of a, a film score, um, that being Up, which debuted in 2009. It earned him an Academy Award. Most everybody knows about the married life uh, <laughs> theme. Uh, yeah. the, talk about a p- piece of music that uh, has really just translated into so many different concepts. Everybody who knows film scores knows Mary Life, and I would say a lot of the general public would recognize it as well. Any thoughts on Up? Yeah, this is uh, like my third favorite movie of all time, uh, and this is hands down my favorite Pixar movie. Uh, nothing even actually comes close. It is the cream of the crop. It is, you know, the top of the mountain for me. Um, and I cliche, but Mary Life. I mean, I I don't know of a theme that has impacted me the way that that fiend has well from the moment i saw the movie um which it just crushed me <laughs> but i couldn't get it out of my head um and every time i listen to it it brings me back to the first time i saw it and just like re, re, you know re uh re evokes those feelings 
but throughout the whole movie. This is a movie that is uh, balances so many different themes, and it's just like a hill. It's up and down and all around, and Giacchino delicately balances both the themes uh, along with the undertone of a lot of the score, as well as creating that Disney feel that you expect from Pixar, right? He knows when to play the emotional beats to get that out of you. You know, I mean, what I keep forgetting the character's name, sorry. But, you know, when the two main characters, when they kind of have, like, their heart-to-heart, um, you know, I wouldn't even say necessarily a little towards the end, but maybe, like, a little towards the end of the second act. Um, you know, he's able to well up this, like, sound that makes you be like, I get it. Like, this all makes sense. I can relate to these characters. Um and even, like, the little sound he creates, like, the dog that could talk. It's just goofy. It's silly. It's adorable. Um, I love everything about this movie. From Pete Docter directing it to, thank God, this movie won the best score. It's impeccable. And it's one of the few scores, uh, especially animated scores, uh, to be honest with you, that I really think is going to stand the test of time. And when Giacchino retires or, or moves on later in his career... Um, I think this is going to be the score that they're going to talk about the most. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It's what's also just great about it is there's a timelessness to the movie and to the score. There's sentimental elements and that certainly comes across in, in married life toward the end. And that kind of misty feeling to it where like, Oh, I'm, I'm longing for, for better days or just the, the past or the beauty of, of that relationship. It really is, ever present across the film and the paradise found cue um, when they, when they first uh, uh, enter paradise falls and that whole sequence is also in that same vein. Yeah, no, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. He, he will forever be known for this film and for that particular Mary life cue, which um, won him the Oscar. So next up on his Pixar doc, it was a bit of a, a a turn. No pun intended as we're going to be talking about, (laughs) Just for a moment, Cars 2, which was a, almost like a spy film. It was a 2011 film. It was considered to be Pixar's weakest film to date. And it's still considered one of its bombs of, of sorts um, in terms of just a lot of different ways, I should say. But do you, do you have any thoughts or, or recollections of Cars 2's music from Giacchino? Uh, I'll be honest with you. This is actually one of the scores I have not listened to. Uh, I'm going to let you take the reins. I actually have not seen Cars 2. Okay, well, I have to say you're not missing a whole lot. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, and I say that with a sense of disappointment because uh, the original Cars is a very sentimental and, and thoughtful and, and sweet film. The, the sequel just goes in a lot of different directions. But what, what's nice about the, the score, and I'm not as intimately familiar with it as compared to some of his other scores, is that it has a great spy feel and it's almost kind of like in the world of Incredibles in terms of that 60s era. I wouldn't say there's as much jazziness to this, but there's a fun track in it called Tokyo Tokyo T- Takeout, and that's spelled T-O-W, as in <laughs> Tony Car, K-Y-O, Takeout. Um, it has a zippy 60s beach-like rhythm, so it almost feels like it's from one of those like old beach films. It's a just a fun little piece, but um, yeah, Cars 2 was a Giacchino score it's still worth checking out even if it's not the strongest movie or even the strongest score but he followed up with a pretty strong 
edition in 2015 with Inside Out. This was a real winner in a lot of ways, and certainly the the soundtrack uh, resonated with a lot of people. But uh, just a few notes on on Inside Out is that it uses a lot of piano in this soundtrack, which is great. And it's actually one of well, there's actually a number of handful a uh, number of uh, Pixar soundtracks where you can get like piano sheet music and I have the sheet music for for Inside Out and I've played it every now and again and it's just a beautiful sentimental score and pieces like Bundle of Joy which is the opening and Free Skating um, which is kind of demonstrates um, memories of Riley skating as a a child there's a gentleness to it and there's also some bubbly elements to the score but I think of it a lot as just uh, kind of in the vein of some of those beautiful moments in Up where it's just very sweet and nostalgic. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. No, this movie, uh, this movie destroyed me in the best way possible. Uh, inside, I, I, I adore it. I adore it. Sorry, I adore it. <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, this this movie is just kind of impressive. I think a lot. I think it's a very, very philosophical film that not a ton of people anticipated. And the score, it does a great job, again, of evoking emotions. I can't say that enough about Giacchino because that's why I think he really does do best. And when you have the emotions literally played out in front of you, right, with happiness, sadness, uh, anger, and fear, and he creates sounds that supplement each other. So when they're all together, he creates a sound that has a bit of fear, that has a bit of angst that has a bit of happiness and it has a bit of sadness it kind of encapsulates it all and then when riley's theme comes in it is an encapsulation of all of those four themes into one but then giacchino like extra layered over it and like it's a movie that's a culmination of many parts especially in the score and um it's also a movie that without the score would not work uh, I think that there's no underestimating the importance of uh, the sounds that Giacchino creates to live inside of mind because it's complex and it's it's a score that has a lot going on. And while it's zippy and zappy and, and Disney-fied, um, that doesn't take away from the sheer emotional impact. It doesn't take away from the moments that Giacchino allows you into these emotions um and with a movie about emotions it absolutely evokes that uh in a very heavy hitting way and for that reason I love it you know I mean it's got some elements it's got fearful it's got exciting anxiety I don't know I'm a very big fan of of both the movie and the score so yeah, and uh, another perfect inca- encapsulation of, of this is the credits. So another great, he he really is strong in the credits department, the end credits, I should say, and the joy of credits, it's very exuberant, and it repeats the main theme, but with a lot of different versions. So we hear a great guitar section, um, which there's very, I don't think there, I would say there's much guitar in the actual film, um, unless I'm mistaken, but we hear it a little bit um, in the end credits, which is nice. And his ability to transcend genres also comes into Coco, which came out in 2017, and it's set around the the Day of the Dead in, in Mexico. And gosh, it like this is a, another example of Giacchino 
being able to just immerse himself in a totally different environment, but uh, encapsulate a very nostalgic feel, a very reflective feel, but it's also very peppy and pompous and exuberant. And, uh, any thoughts on Coco? Yeah, Coco's great. Uh, it also, uh, it really, it's the best way to put this, Coco, it really fits into the, uh, the setting that the film takes place. I think he does a great job of adding this sort of a Latin vibe to it. Because the majority of the soundtrack, it's not your traditional Disney Pixar sort of music, right? It's not just the whimsical uh, sort of fast-paced going by the motions. It's it's a music that has heart. It's a music that uh, encapsulates a culture, uh, which is something I really like it. He uses various instruments throughout the whole soundtrack, which I think is cool. Live acoustic guitar, which I really like. Um, it's got a lot of groove to it. It makes you want to almost dance a little bit because that is incorporated a lot in the culture and a lot in the movie. Um, and then, you know, it, he kind of adds a little spooky elements to it because when he goes into the afterlife, like it's, uh, it, it's, it's a really beautiful score. And it's a really, it's a whole unique score. And it's something that's very different for Giacchino especially uh coming off his previous projects and um you know i just think uh it was just a very it was a different take and something it was very exciting to hear him go in a new direction is the way i would put it and uh mm -hmm. he took what you know disney and pixar are known for and really put a different spin on it and um really understood of what the score needed to do to impact the movie to the fullest and uh it really worked i, I was a big big fan of it yeah, it's. I totally agree. It's very vibrant, um, upbeat, and fast at times. Uh, you know, it's funny watching the film and listening to the score. I there were moments of it where I thought back to Spy Kids from sure. from the early two thousands, which um, obviously has that some of that same flair. But um, yeah, and what also separated Coco from really the rest of the Pixar catalog is that's a true musical, and it's just awesome that. Giacchino was able to kind of immerse himself in, in this type of uh, setting. And last but not least is Giacchino's most, uh, I would say it's a fantastic sequel to the original. It is Incredibles 2, debuted in 2018. It was also a massive hit for the studio. And there are a number of, of great tracks in this. But uh, turn it over to you first, David. Any thoughts on this more recent Pixar production? Sure, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's fantastic. And the fact that it came so many years after the original Incredibles but and picks up right after the original, um, he was able to immediately tie you in and being like, oh, yeah, like this is one of the reasons I love the music to the original so much. He gets you from the first scene. And... Um, it, it really works. And against the introductions, I love Frozone's introduction personally. I think I just get a good hoot out of it each time. It was great. And, you know, it, you could definitely hear it was a little more modernized in a way, uh, whether it was like, the clear sounds or just the sort of, um, uh, just the mood he kind of brought to it because it was, you know, it was a different, I don't want to say it was a different movie than the original, but, you know, it had obviously different elements. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I just thought it worked. I also like the tech sounds. He brings like a lot more of like technology vibrance to it uh, due to the villain. And um, yeah, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. Really great sequel. Um, again, G. Kino just coming in, hitting a home run, just uh, knowing ex 
you know, I've been saying it all the podcast, but he just knows what to do that fits the story. He knows how to be the glue, and uh, he did it again, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there. It's really what's nice about this score is that with a lot of sequels, we see certain composers just drawing upon some main themes from the original and then maybe adding some new things or twisting things around. And while we hear the main Incredibles theme, there are a ton of really original, really dynamic tracks in here. One that I'd like to mention uh, first is the opening, which is titled Episode 2, and it repeats the Incredibles theme in, if you remember the original film in the opening, we hear a little nod to the Incredibles theme and here he extends it and modernizes it a little bit which I really like and there were so many other examples where there's just a lot of nice like big band uh, jazz type tunes like the uh, Diggin' the New Digs uh, <laughs> where they where they, where they uh, enter that really awesome 60s era house Train of Taut is very grand and exciting. That's another track. Um, Searching for a Screen Slaver is uh, mysterious <laughs> and subtle, and uh, there's some light percussion to build anticipation. There's so many great examples. There's some wistfulness with the hero worship. That's where uh, Elastigirl meets the other other odd and quirky superheroes and i love how one of them's from wisconsin yes <laughs> um, let me tell you i saw that they played the film in our uh, campus union and when when he said that line like the whole audience just lost it because they, they thought it was funny but anyways um <laughs> all that to say it's great score i also like if you're if any of you listeners are really super disney theme park music freaks you might and I'm not sure if this was deliberate, but in the in this uh, end credits, in the in, credit, in credits two sequence, at about I made a note of this um, at the two minute fifty eight mark, so about three minutes in, there's a little cue in there that feels so reminiscent of an old Tomorrowland attraction from like the '60s, '70s, and into the '80s called Event Adventure Through Inner Space, and it was a very just odd. Um, very science science fiction type attraction but it was set within um like molecules and things like that but there's if folks go on youtube and listen to the music of adventure through inner space and then you immediately listen to this point in the end credit sequence i would swear that there are major parallels it's very unique very hard to describe it's almost mechanistic mechanical of sorts and it's just awesome so that's the disney nerd in me um, That's amazing. Yeah, I I think it's pretty cool. So we're gonna wrap up now. We've talked about a lot of different projects. So, and I know we've elaborated on a lot of them. So, if we can kind of concisely mention our top five favorite Giacchino scores, and David, I will let you have the floor. Oh, all right, thank you. Um, so yeah, really briefly, we talked about it. Obviously, uh, Married Life is my number one. That I just don't think anything's gonna top it. Uh, I think it's an absolute masterpiece of uh, piece of music in general. Uh, I got number two. I actually have the Rogue One theme because I think that daunting task of taking on John Williams and kind of incorporating and making your own, and not only that, but it being the first Star Wars spinoff and that being the uh, grandeur and the um, able to bring you back into why you love Star Wars so much uh, is utterly impressive. 
uh, the Spider-Man Homecoming, because I think that's the best job anyone's ever done at taking an old theme from the 60s <laughs> and making it modernized to fit in uh, with, you know, the, the Marvel theme that you're so accustomed to hearing now, uh, but really fitting that classic, catchy Spider-Man tune right in there. Just an excellent, excellent theme. Uh, number four, I actually had the original Star Trek. Uh, which is one we didn't really allude to much. Uh, see, he did all three of Abrams' Star Trek movies. Uh, and it's the original one that uh, that I really liked. I, in my eyes, I think I kind of uh, reinvented the Star Trek theme, in a way. Uh, it really revitalized it. Star Trek was on its way out. Then, obviously, the new series rebooted it, in a way. Um, but just, you know, again, he incorporated the original brought on the new, made it very big and very, very cinematic, which I really liked. Uh, and then Incredibles 1. I, there's nothing quite like seeing that for the first time and, and hearing that wholly unique superhero score for the first time. Thoroughly enjoyable. Just absolutely love it. Um, yeah, that's my top, top five Giacchino. Yeah, there's so much so much great work, and I think if if Star Trek was part of the Disney universe, I probably I probably would have ranked that very high. I love that <laughs> score. So thank you for broadening the the scope. Sorry, uh, yeah, that's true. No, that's t- quite all right. His hey, I've always seen that as kind of an extension of of Disney of sorts because of just the impressiveness and creativity. So I was I kind of was thinking about it's hard because there's so many great individual tracks, and I was thinking of. Um, like soundtracks more generally that I really enjoyed from Giacchino and so my number five is Incredibles 2 as a whole I thought it was just extremely inventive and there are so many moments that I could just um, easily remember because of how well they both fit within the film and also independently so I mentioned a few of those earlier my number four is actually Doctor Strange I think it's extremely eccentric and all over the place but it speaks to his versatility Uh, as i shared number three for me is john carter Uh, i talked about that a ton so i don't have anything more to add similarly number two is tomorrowland i think it's certainly in my book it's his his some of his finest work for live action films and like i mentioned penultimate experience as a track is like a married lifer up for me and my number one uh film score from him or overall really is the original Incredibles for what it meant for Pixar, what it meant for the genre, what it meant for his career and ultimately how it has stood the test of time. So I appreciate his work for Up and some of the other notable themes but if I were to look at soundtracks collectively I and holistically I really love Incredibles. So in the interest of time we have some Q&A questions for you David as a guest on the podcast and as we wrap things things up typically ask guests ask my questions get some answers so have some as this is a, a music and writing and book and everything um, that relates to notes and the notion of notes podcast some music and book related questions and then a random disney question so are you ready all right let's do it okay so first music question is what disney soundtrack did you listen to most while growing up Ooh. Oh man! Oh, oh boy, is that what I listen to the most? Yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to hark back. Probably the Lion King. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> 90s <laughs> kid, right? Yeah. What's that? I said 90s kid, right? Oh, 90s kid, 
all day, every day. Still in. Oh yeah, yeah. Lion King. I'm also, uh, you know, I'm. It's also the most recent one in a way as well because the new live action version is coming out this year. So uh, I'm just kind of you know re upping on it. And um, hey, listen, Ellen John lyrics too. I mean, you're just not gonna beat it. Yes. Oh, totally agree. On the music note, uh, the second question is: What Disney song most recently got stuck in your head, or one that always gets stuck in your head for that matter? But whatever comes to mind. Uh, you got a friend in me from Toy Story. That's a good one. <laughs> hey, classic. Uh, uh, third question is: What Disney film, and maybe it's connected to today's topic, but what Disney film do you feel is the most underrated music? Probably Tomorrowland. Honestly, uh, just I, I don't think enough people have put necessary ears on it, and uh, I just, I want more people to see it and listen to it. I think it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, you got my vote. I totally agree. Shifting over to books, and this and this might be this can be broadened, of course. But is there uh, the the question being what is the most recent Disney book you've read? But it, um, whether that be um, Marvel or Star Wars or anything that's related to the Disney umbrella, something that you've read recently that is interesting okay um all right so uh so all the listeners out there i hate to be the bearer of bad news i am not the uh i cannot say i'm the most avid book reader i am a comic book reader though um and i'm that certainly counts (laughs) (laughs) uh so i'm kind of still catching up so uh captain the civil war um that marvel book uh or comic uh comic line i should say uh I thought it was great. I mean, the movie's obviously quite a bit different than uh, the comic storyline. Alone, the comic storyline is uh, it's pretty heavy, and there's a lot of like political statements to be made. Um, but I, I loved it. I think it's an absolutely incredible like Marvel story arc, and uh, I think the way it wraps up is pretty incredible too. Sure, sure. If and the next uh, question is, if you could write a Disney book on any topic, what it, would it be? And given that you're also a musician, I guess I could ask if you could like compose a piece of music related to anything related to Disney or play a role in, I don't know, an orchestra or whatever the case may be. <laughs> anything great... under under that umbrella. Yeah, go for it. That's an excellent question. Uh, if I could write a book on anything Disney, it would be um, not necessarily how Walt Disney founded Disney, but right after he founded it, how did Disney become such a prominent player in the theme park industry and then overall the entertainment industry it's one of the top four um you know umbrellas hypothetically that it it, it owns i forgot what the share was off the top of my head it owns an incredible amount of entertainment uh value other than just certain ips but you know it owns espn it owns abc it owns all these different things how it got to that point playing music in the orchestra I, I love the timpani. I used to play that back in high school, uh, and I would love to play for Giacchino. I'd love him to conduct me playing the timpani. I think it'd be so much fun. <laughs> oh, I love that. Okay, random final question. So this is always different with every episode. Which Disney villain do you feel is most misunderstood and why? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Oh, they do a good job of fleshing him out. I was going to say Thanos, but he's not misunderstood. That dude's crazy. Um, I'm going to go with Eric Killmonger. I think if there's anyone that, well, I don't necessarily agree with his motives in Black Panther, uh, I think that he's the least evil in a way, because I think his merits for his actions 
are the most understated and also um, the most understandable because I think that there's real people out there that absolutely have a mindset of an Eric Killmonger um, as just not being treated fairly. And because of that, the only way to really get my point across is to revolt. And by revolting, that means, you know, cheating my way to the top and, and kind of taking over. Um, and I think that's the most daunting villain. Um, but also, I'm understood because everyone looks at him as he's the bad guy that tried to kill Black Panther. And it's like, nah, like, he tried to protect himself and what he thought that would protect the world. But the way he went about it was wrong. Right. I think his ideas were valid, but I think the way he went about to achieve his ideas were very, very wrong and very detrimental. So I find him a fascinating character. Interesting. So I think you could you could be part of writing an origin story spinoff for Disney Plus for uh, for that character. <laughs> so more brilliant ideas. Why are they not hiring us? I don't know yet. I yeah, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> it's, that's what podcasts are for. We expand the universe. So good point. David, it's been a pleasure to have you on, and I want to make sure if any listeners um, want to get in touch with you, that they know how how can they get in touch with you. Sure. Um, I mean, I have you know social media. So I have like a Twitter handle. It's a TPF Drummer. Uh, super super. Uh, you know. Long story behind that one. Um, but so I have a Twitter handle, TPF Drummer. Um, and I, I, I'm not going to lie, that's probably the best way you can find me. Uh, if you want to talk to me, I can definitely communicate through that. Um, you know, or, you know, I, I, I have a Facebook as well. Um, those are the best ways to reach me. Um, you know, I'm always open for discussions. So if anyone ever wants to talk about movies, music, uh, anything pop culture related, um, yeah at tpf drummer you can find me oh, and i can attest to it you're definitely the the right guy to talk with as it as it pertains to to film and music <laughs> and all that so david such a pleasure to have you on and Thanks, uh, yeah we um, we as as you all can tell we really appreciate the work of Giacchino all across the walt disney company and certainly um hall ewood too And much thanks go out to David for joining me on this extensive and substantial discussion on Michael Giacchino. You probably could tell we were very enthusiastic about discussing the projects, and it's because it's true. Giacchino's work is very vast, very moving and powerful, and in many ways can define the particular projects in terms of the tone and the excitement that we feel. So let's hope that Giacchino continues to produce a lot of great work for the Walt Disney Company over the next 25 years. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney. Notably Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.